My name is Krishna. I'm a compulsive overeater. I've counter. Um, my top weight was 508 pounds. Um, I am now uh, over 200 pounds below that. I just, just got that confirmation from my doctor. So, um, I just had my blood work done, and everything came out really, really good, except for my diabetic little test. didn't come out so well. But that's from way down now from where it was. So if it weren't for the sake of this program, I wouldn't have the willingness nor the desire to change. So I had to make a drastic change. And again, another drastic change in my eating. I go back. It's carbs. It's like, what else do I need to look at? Um, go to a restaurant and I'll have lettuce with icebox. And that won't affect me. I'll be okay. Um, but the amazing thing is that in this program, that, if I had to do that, and it was for my health and for me to live, I would be willing to do it. Mm. And outside of the door, outside of these doors, I well, inside these doors, outside inside the mud, I'm beyond insane. I'm crazy, and I have no shame in admitting that. Uh, I people say, "Oh, that sounds crazy." I'm well, that's because I am crazy. I go, "If you knew where I came from, you 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 might think twice about." Oh, she's such a nice guy. <laughs> many years ago, or maybe not, maybe because I'm the opposite, which is okay too. Um, I, uh, I started off really uh, a very angry young man, a very angry teenager. Um, there's a picture of me when I'm five years old. Um, my dad's holding me. He had just yelled and screamed at me in a dime store. A dime store. We even get a cup of coffee or a ride on a bus. Um, I can. I was crying, really crying, and he got more embarrassed about me crying than for me to find him. Because he's always, he's always been very like, children are meant to be, you know, seen, not heard. And, and unless we ask you a question, then he had not asked me anything. And I offered my opinion as a five-year-old, apparently. And, um, and he was an active alcoholic at the time, too. So he transferred a lot of anger to me. We, we shared a lot. We shared a lot of comments, um, except for the alcoholic. <laughs> I got food. Um, he and he gave me. He bought me. You could see, and he's holding me in this picture. And I'm crying, but you could tell I stopped crying. And I had this huge lollipop in my hand. And I, I don't, you know, some people say they're bored. I don't know if I was born this way. I don't know. There's a lot of things I was born away, but this was. I don't know if this is one of them. But I just remember, I see that picture, and I know that's what I think that clip. Oh, I feel so much better. I have sugar in my mouth. This is fantastic. And, you know, and he looks so angry in the picture. And I grew up to be a very angry teenager. He was very, um, I'm adopted, so my parents are both slim people. <laughs> I raised my hands up and made a weird face. So they've never been, they're in their 80s and 90s right now, and they haven't been more than 10 pounds overweight their entire life. So, you know, for them, they're like, they're like oh, I'm so fat. And um, I pinched my arm very little fat. Um, and they never understood. And it's not their fault. I don't hold it against them. They didn't do anything wrong. They just don't under. If you've never been overweight in your life, really, you know, I have 10 pounds to be overweight in some people's minds. Like, I mean, you have know, our anorexic and bulimic. Sisters and brothers in the program who definitely think could think ten pounds might be a horrendous amount of weight overweight, and I understand that, I acknowledge it. But my parents are neither, and so they didn't get it. 
And they always, my dad used to always say to me, I was a little kid, thank God it stopped when I became an adult. Oh, I left the house right away. Um, ran away to college. Um, every, every pound of the way that you are a Christian, you're putting another nail in your own coffin. He was, that was motivational. Let's lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you feel great about yourself. And he put me into every sport possible. Um, and I'm actually, I sports pretty decently. I wasn't a really big, big kid. I got really big when I left home and got to college. That's when the town, oh, Lordy, freshman 40, whatever. <laughs> I did like a freshman 200. It was bad. I gained weight like a crazy man in college. But all through high school, I, you know, I look back at my pictures, and I'm so angry that I, I, I don't know, I'm not angry. That's probably the wrong word for it. It's sad that I thought I was so fat and ugly. And I was in a picture like, I gave him. <laughs> I was a, I'm a good. I was a football player, soccer player, baseball player, tried basketball, like no one who's a ball who can't do it. Um, I don't jump. Um, <laughs> but uh, everything, you know, I can only sports, letters, I, you know, because and all of it. Yet still, I wasn't a slim kid by any stretch of the term. But I wasn't really that heavy. I was in pretty good shape. That's because I was young. And God bless young youth and metabolism running late. And all those sports kept me from it. And of course, what happened? Those sports stopped. I got away from my dad, who was like, he would watch me. All of, he wouldn't go to bed until I went to bed and shut my door. Because he knew then he'd take it out and eat. It's really weird. He would drink himself to blackout every night. But somehow, me eating was so much worse than blacking out from alcohol. Um, so he would watch me and he'd stay up. It'd be like, it became a competition, my whole youth. Who can go, who's going to get tired first? Who's going to go fall asleep first? Because then I, when he fell asleep, I could go to the kitchen. I could load my body up and I put stuff in a steam plate to sneak past it. Because he was like, he was like, the Gestapo. He was a horrible thing to say in here. He was, um, that's what it felt like to me. <laughs> I'll correct myself saying, he was like any military police officer. They know what to look for, they know, and they know that the people they're pursuing are already trained to kill. <laughs> he knew I was like really good at sneaking stuff around. Because he knew I kept getting a little, I wasn't getting skinnier. And he would put me in all these sports and have me do all these activities and tell me about the nails in my coffin and all that great motivation was just not working. So I left, went to college, um, joined, I, I uh, joined a fraternity, um, so I was drinking lots of beer and alcohol, um, which is great when you're trying to not gain weight. Um, I was, uh, you know, eating like crazy. I'd go to the, um, I'd go to our fraternity house and. You know, the refrigerators, they like four refrigerators. She's talking about that. And the guys would be in there drinking, and they drink themselves stupid. That's just fraternal guy junk, I guess. Um, and I would go to the refrigerator, and I would just start going. Because no one was there to watch me. No one was there to monitor me. No one was there to judge me, except for myself, which is the worst judge of all. But and I would just go in there and sneak and eat their food. But I knew the fraternity was paying for it, so I paid to because it was my food. And um, even though I didn't buy it and did nothing to get it. But anyway, that's when the weight started coming on. And um, 
I also, and also part of part of my weight gain during that time was um, I, I'm a gay man and I hadn't come out of the closet at that time. I had had a dalliance in that on you know, that side of the world at that time, and I went to the what I call <laughs> what I call my um, my uh, Catholic guilt closet. I, I jumped in there and I stayed in my closet for another decade. Um, until I was 26. I met a woman when I was 21 uh, named Gretchen. She was an uh, amazing, beautiful woman. And we started dating. <laughs> I feel so, I'm like, are you kidding me? It's just funny, it's just surreal to me. <laughs> and uh, we started dating, and eventually we became engaged. And, but she was also a compulsive reader. But for some reason, when we met, we were not in like the depth of our disease. But we uh, so we started eating we were binge buddies. We'd go to Costco and back in the day they used to sell big things of chairs and oh my lord, gallon jugs of ice cream and we would we established a home, we had a townhouse, we had a big T V, we put a town big TV like now we have 180 inches in the whole wall of the house. How long ago it was? <laughs> we would, um, and we'd sit in front of the TV. We had, she had a cat. Ooh, not a good cat. And I put that cat out thing for me. And I'd like, like, it'd look at me and do things, horrible things on the carpet that she'd be doing. Literally look at me and do it. And so I had a cat. It's like, oh, my cat would beat up her cat all the time. Oh, Lord, you know. Two cats in the house. Um, and our cats became like the pseudo children, of course. And we were both sitting on the couch every night. She worked, uh, she worked uh, during the day. We both worked during the day, so we come home around the same time. I'd always go by a drive through and pick up enough food for about eight people. Um, and we would have all that food. We'd have all that food together. And then we'd get out the big snack bags, which were about four feet tall, and just start... Mindlessly watching TV and munching on these on these snacks, various snacks, and sure enough, slowly but surely, we both gained. It, honestly, in my head, I don't remember because I was so disconnected. I don't remember gaining 300 pounds. I don't remember it going on, and I don't remember hurting. I don't remember any pain. And you think putting on that much hundreds of pounds of weight would screw you up, like it would be something. Well, I realized I never went to the doctor in that entire time. Because what doctors do Because they might tell me the truth. And I don't want to know the truth. I just want to live in my little isolated world with my bitch buddy. Um, so she and I continued our relationship that lasted for seven years. Um, got into corporate America, just through my thing in IT and everything. She was doing her thing in genetic science stuff. And we still, every night, the same ritual would come home. Not even hardly communicating with each other, just eating together. Eating, eating, eating. Her mother hated me. So she'd come to visit frequently because of that. And, and she'd always stay for weeks on end. And, um, and she kept watching her daughter get bigger and bigger. And she blamed me for it, saying it's my fault that her daughter got bigger and bigger. And that we need to exercise some willpower. Well, as everyone knows in this program, I think everyone in this room, we've got willpower. We got willpower coming out of yin yang. We don't know. You don't need to tell me about willpower. It's not about willpower. It's not saying, oh, I'm not going to eat this pizza today. 
And I mean whole pizza, not the flat. You know, I'm not going to have this today. We might say that to ourselves in the morning when you wake up. If you're feeling good enough, you might say, today I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat everyone else's lunch at work today. I'm just going to eat mine. <laughs> and never happened. I would get into people's food, and I was, oh, thanks to my training, early childhood training, I was a master at making things look like they hadn't been touched. Oh, I'm so good at that. You know, I learned to eat everything very evenly. Ice cream, I learned to put it, to melt it a little bit on top, and then swirl it just a little bit so it looked like it hadn't been touched. Even push the lid on it so that the lid had some on it, so I think they're opening it for the first time. That's the insanity of my, of my disease. That was, I would work at making things look like no one touched it. Except for when you start to get like two or three inches down, then it's like, oh, they must have screwed up the factory. I need to return that to the store and get another one so I can do another three inches uh, of your food. It was, um, fortunately, uh, my work at the time, which was uh, PR and marketing, um, in, our, in the entertainment business, I was up north, and luckily I got moved down to LA, transferred to the office down here. And it was weird, everyone else in my office got transferred to Denver. I was the only one that got transferred to Los Angeles. And it was because my old director said, well, I know you didn't want to go to Denver. And, um, and lived there in snow and misery. Um, so, sorry, I'm sure Denver's gorgeous, which I've been there many times. Um, if you're from Denver, uh, it's, uh, it, was, um, it was really difficult in the, it, um, to come here, because all I thought of L.A. was, all I knew of L.A. was everyone's in perfect shape, everyone's beautiful, and that's not me anymore. And, nah, maybe I never me. But I go, I, I'm really going to have a hard time. And I came down here, and I had an apartment. The company had rented me an apartment for just to begin with. Um, the moving truck somehow got lost on the five between San Francisco and LA. I thought it was a pretty direct route, but somehow he got lost. So it was like a day later, and I'd already been down here for two days without furniture. I was living in like basically a little mat, multiple matchbox apartment with no furniture, but I had my laptop. And there was a very early version of a Wi-Fi network in, in, in the place. So I connected to the Wi-Fi, ordered, found pizza place close by, found all the necessary things. Didn't call about the truck. I never once called about where the truck is, where's my stuff. But I know where every restaurant was that I liked. I knew where all the food was, and I made sure I was insulated. And um, the impetus for coming into the program, which was great, was there was one moment I woke up on the third day, and it was, the truck still hadn't arrived yet, and he had phoned and said he was coming. I woke up on the floor of this apartment, um, um, and I was surrounded by trash. I had orange crush pops, like whole multiple liters of sugared soda around me. Two extra, extra large family pizza boxes. Crust, which I don't like. <laughs> They're on the floor. I woke up in garbage. I woke up in trash. And this is a brand new apartment. Like, the complex was even new. So it was really not a, it was a nice place. And it looked like a homeless person had set up camp in the living room. Because there's so much trash. And something inside of me, this is probably my higher power, something clicked and just said, this is not normal. This isn't right. This isn't how you're supposed to live your life. 
You're not, this is, I just did, this isn't normal. There has to be something I can do about it. Well, I had tried one meeting of OA in my home, hometown area up in Northern California. There was one meeting a week on a Thursday, and it was three housewives, wealthy housewives, and they drove up in their Maseratis and their Mercedes and all these fabulous cars, and I'm like, I don't want to truck. And I, I, when I showed up the first time, they basically moaned and groaned about their husbands and how they're not getting everything they want from their lives. And they want to get divorces and all this craziness. That's what the whole hour meeting was about. It really didn't talk about food. No one there had any abstinence. There's no abstinence in the room. Um, and after that meeting, I felt so good, I drove right to a drive-thru and bought food for four. And binged right after that meeting. Um, and so I kind of said, so I knew what OA was, but I looked it up, but I said, it's not for me. You know, that's, those are crazy people. <laughs> those are insane women. They're crazy. Um, and so I, I, then I, you know, about six months later was when I ended up in L.A. And I looked up a meeting, and the first meeting I went to in L.A., <laughs> I, I just seemed to choose them. I go, I'm gay, I have to go to West Hollywood, I'm going to go to a gay meeting with gay people, and be gay, gay, gay. Um, and so I, um, I went to a meeting at the log cabin, because it said it was right in the middle of West Hollywood. I didn't really have any concept of it. Ooh, the log cabin. Um, and I walk in, and there's all these women sitting in a big circle. And they all have these blue books, and they're like reading from them or reading them. And I'm like, oh, what did I this is a book club? And I honestly thought, book club? And I'm like, why are they all women? This, this is what Hollywood is supposed to be a gay meeting. No, it wasn't. This was a women's, a women's specific, a women's only book, big book study meeting. And I didn't know what any of the little symbols meant. So, online, I, I just chose the meeting to was Hollywood. So I ended up at a meeting. By the grace of God, these women embraced me. They let me come in and join them. They, you know, there are a couple of, like, weird stairs, but they let me stay. And they read from the big book. I can't remember what they read because it was so, I was so not there. And I was like, oh, I'm studying. And got to that meeting and said, again, oh, it's not for me. I can't, I can't do this. You know, it's all women. It's a reading books. I'm not into this. This isn't going to work for me. This isn't happening. This isn't working. So again, I walked away, and I went and binged, and then I went and I went home. Um, the next day, I um, looked. I went online again, and I said, I, so I woke up again. I had furniture now, but I had trash all over my coffee table. The TV was still on, and I woke again. I fell asleep on the floor of my apartment, and I just said. I can't, I, I remember I, the one thought that was like, I cannot live the rest of my life sleeping on the floor blacking out. This is stupid. I'm better than this. <laughs> and, um, which I didn't believe, but I did say that. Went online, looked up another meeting, found, and I, my requirements to that, I have told God, and I've heard this from a lot of other people. We get these, like, crazy requirements for this meeting that we going to turn us, that, up, that actually will bring us in. I said, the meeting has to be close, but I don't know L.A., so I don't know how to drive, I don't want to go looking for anything. It has to be close within, like, a couple miles of, my, of where I'm at. It has to be, um, it has to be, I need to have at least one gay person there, gay man there, who, who understands where I'm coming from. There has to be, um, I would have to be within the next hour, otherwise I'm not going to do it, so I'm just going to go to food and flat out. 
and it has to be, um, I want to be, you know, I need to hear my, I need to hear something I can relate to. Sure enough, I found the 100 pounder meeting on Thursday night at the Methodist Church of Westchester, which was just, gosh, five minutes from where I lived back then. The leader of that meeting happened to be a gay man who told my story when he shared. Um, I got a big hug from this amazing woman at the door, Elizabeth. She gave me this, I mean, it was a bear hug. And I, 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 mm-hmm. I did not like being touched like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't like touching my body, hardly, let alone being hugged by a strange woman at the door in a church. And um, I was just like, this isn't, this isn't working for me. So, but she gave me that hug and she didn't let go. She like held. She really held on to me. And something clicked. I took that breath like I just did and something clicked and I melted into her hug. And it's, I tell you, I'll never forget that hug. So as long as my memory lasts, <laughs> I won't forget that hug. But that hug, honestly, whatever switched in me, whatever broke in me, a little bit even, allowed me to be at that meeting and to get it. I heard these people telling their story. I heard my sponsor, Tony, sharing at the front of the meeting. <laughs> I'm really bad at the end of the meeting. I've been lucky to be working with my sponsor for um, almost 10 years um, without switching, without failing. Um, that first night, I remember I was sweating like I am now, probably worse, and I was bigger than I am now, so it was, and I was walking, I walked up to her, I remember I was shaking, my hands were cold, but they are now. <laughs> and I was so nervous, I was so scared to ask him to be my sponsor. And I walked up to him and I, and I go, you know, would you be willing to be my sponsor? I knew I needed a sponsor. No one had told me that, but I think I maybe heard it at one meeting or another. Someone had said it in the thinking that you need a sponsor quickly. You can't do this program without a sponsor, and you shouldn't do it at all. Just don't try it without a sponsor. It's not worth it. Because you get much more great work when you're working with someone you trust, that you trust and that you can call every day and share your insanity with. Um, <laughs> I have a lot to share. Um, so... Basically, I was blessed with God put everything, um, my higher power, or God put everything that I asked for right there. And that's when I got into this program, and that was nine years ago. So it's been a uh, actually, that's a decade ago, because my first year of abstinence was so different. What did we want? But anyway, that's my story. Thank you for listening. <laughs> There is no break at this meeting. We will now pass the basket for our seventh edition. And I have asked, um, This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. <laughs> no. When asking questions, you need, to, you need not identify yourself. Anonymous. Yeah, you don't need to identify. <laughs> Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Thank you. Ah, good question. Can I explain my abstinence as it has evolved over um, my rec- over my recovery time? Um, my first abstinence was a three-page list that I 
through directions wrote in the front of my original um, big book, um, which I haven't owned, I actually left on an airline, but someone got a great list. And it had all my specific um, foods, like no popsicles. No, it was very specific. And I can tell you that first year of absence didn't work. Three-page list, it was too specific, it was too involved. And my brain, I could not wrap around not having any of those foods. It was like, it was crazy. And it just didn't work for me. And that first year, I basically just lied. And I call it my year of smoke and mirrors. I just was like, oh, geez. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm eating beef over here. And um, that was my first accident. And it, it, it unfortunately did not work or work well. Um, then after that, I um, narrowed down the list. I did, I did the red light. Oh, green light, yellow light, red light, food. And I had a list to get with these foods. That worked for a little, that worked for a while, but I started getting I guess I started getting tired of constantly going like reviewing this list and reviewing reviewing everything. You know, I was, I, it was torture. So for me it was torture at that time early in my recovery. Now I do it whether I like it or not. Um, so then I was talking with a fellow in the program. We were walking to a movie one day, and she said, oh, you know, I've changed my optimism to I'm not doing any white flour, or, or I'm not doing any white flour or refined sugar. And I said, oh, that kind of covers a lot. Like, if you look at my list, that's really what was on that. So I said, you know what? Let's try that. I'll do that. No, no white flour or refined sugar, which is very specific now that there are loopholes in that. <laughs> um, so that's what I've had for quite a that, that actually has worked very well for me. Um, it was tough. I went through about three weeks of withdrawal, and I was a miserable person to be around for those three weeks. And I used to come to meetings, I'd moan and groan about it. I'd write nasty things in the in the we care book. Um, <laughs> 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 and, and I'd write I'd write horrible things in that. I mean I would. Because you know, if I can't be honest with you guys, who, who am I gonna be honest with? You know, and if someone was really offended by that, well, they could let me know or talk to their sponsor. <laughs> so, I love that line. Um, but so that's been the one that I have maintained. But now, ever since I got that, I had to make some more nutritional changes. I've just said no flour, no sugar. Doesn't matter whether it's refined, unrefined, made by pygmy Indians in the Alps. It doesn't matter. <laughs> None of that fit together. But, um, it doesn't matter. Now it's just no flour, no sugar. Because with my diabetes, I'm not, I'm not blessed with a system that can handle it. So, and it's really made a difference. It's really helpful. I feel better, too. So I think it's too slow. I know my is away. Yeah, I thank you so much, Chris. I always love to hear you talk. Would you talk a little about um, the evolution from whatever it was you were brought up with as a kid to having a spiritual connection? Um, absolutely. Uh, can I uh, explain... Um, my, the evolution of my, of my faith and spirituality from the religion of origin to now. Um, I, uh, I, I was born into, uh, well, I was adopted into a Catholic family, a Latin Catholic family, so really lots of wonderful guilt in the bag on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Wonderful faith. I knew at a very young age it wasn't fitting for me. Um, and my dad, being, he, he's a very good Catholic, so he was like, you're my son, you have to be Catholic. Mm -hmm. And I, if I don't succeed, your soul will be somewhere where I don't ever It will be somewhere horrible in his belief system. And um, he felt he had failed me. He feels like if I weren't Catholic, he would have failed. And um, 
So I went through the entire process of being catechism, learning about everything. Interestingly enough, I, in hindsight, I realized I never really learned how to communicate with God. I was just told about stories and stuff that happened. Um, as I've grown, in, and once I, after I went to confirmation, which is when you kind of say, I'm a Catholic, I will be a good Catholic. <laughs> I lied! Um, I, um, I did not fulfill those promises in that. Um, I was confirmed and then promptly I ran away from the church. As soon as I got away from my parents and in college, I, church was never another part of my life. And I had really the absence of spirituality. I can't say I was an agnostic or atheist. That's not, I wasn't anything in, those, in that realm. I just didn't, I just believed God was my enemy. And we were at war, we were at war with each other and that every day was punishment. Some punishment. Which I don't think, I, I found as a common theme. But I felt like he was, he, you know, he, Curse me with all this, and I'm going to get him back. Um, which is such a fruitless battle. Um, so I don't know what <coughs> Then I came to program, and I was blessed with being exposed to a lot of different states of origin, and also different concepts. And I kind of formed my own concept of spirituality. I realized I need to be able to speak honestly with any form of a higher power in my life. So I need to be honest. I need to be blunt. I need to be able to express anger. I need to be able to just be me, crazy Christian, and not have to be this like perfect little dressed up person in a building. And that's where I'm at. That's what I've maintained um, almost, I think, since year two, since my disaster. I talk to God in the car. I'll, I cut God out when I'm really mad. I'll stress out. I'll say horrible things. But you know what? All those things. If it's an omnipotent being I have as my higher power, they already know everything I'm thinking. So not to say it is ridiculous. So I express myself very honestly and openly, and I found I have this amazing connection. Like, I get messages, I get signals, I, I'm blessed with my eyes and open. I see the miracles happening in my own life. And I get, I get blessed to see them in all of your lives, too. I get to see that person who comes into this room, who I found when they first walked in, and I see them where they are today, and it's like, nice, gay. It's amazing. So I would say that's the evolution. It's kind of, it's been very slow, but it's been very neat. And it's not really based on any, I just kind of put things together that I realize I need to build this the way I like it. Otherwise, it's not going to work for me. And it's going to be. So. So, <laughs> so how do I deal with things that don't go my way? Basically, every call with no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, when things don't go my way, it's easy to be faithful when everything's great. It's easy to have faith in my higher power and be amazing and life is so good. It's easy when the chips are down and you know stuff is going into the fan and it's really bad. I reach out. I'll call my sponsor, Tony. <laughs> and um, I will, I will say, um, I, I, I mean, I, he's very good. Like he has to be respectful. You can't, you know, I don't call him to cut him out because he has nothing to do with it. But he listens to my insanity. I call other fellows in the program, and I'll be like, ah! and I'll be like, oh, you're spiraling. You need to take a deep breath. Sometimes my sponsees will call me. Sometimes I get a call from my sponsee when I'm at my worst. When I don't want to answer the phone because I'm crazy. And that's, that's, by talking to the sponsee, it gets me out of my own head. 
And all of a sudden, whatever was really insane for me, or driving me crazy, or challenging my faith, suddenly isn't so bad. It's, so it's something I can, I, can, I can get through this. I also find um, writing, as much as I just like writing, I can't stand writing because it's always so truthful. But writing work uh, has worked for me. Um, I do a gratitude list online. Uh, that works for me too, particularly when I'm in the I don't have this mode. Oh, I don't have this. I don't have a new Porsche. I don't have a Porsche. I don't have, and I don't have all this stuff. You know, and I have luxury problems in my life. I don't really have problems. I'm not gonna have a roof over my head tomorrow. And so I, that, that actually just brings me back to reality. It says, look at your life. It's pretty darn good. You're not, you're not battling, you're exercising regularly, you're doing all these wonderful things, stop complaining. Because, you, you know, don't even tempt the face. That's <laughs> something else to offer. Um, so that's, always, that's how I get to it. A lot, and that's the crisis of faith. Thank you so much. This is a delight. Thank you for sharing. You mentioned your hands are still alive. I'm just wondering how the relationship, given the beginning of the relationship with your dad, have you been able to find a relationship with this positive and not dangerous for you? It's perfect. It's like a plan. These questions are like such a pattern. How how is the relationship? How's my relationship evolved with my parents? Even though, yeah. and particularly my dad, yeah, my father, who's been a source of a lot of hardship in my life at earlier times. Um, after I got to my first pass of the twelve steps, and I went through step four, and which is a lot of a lot of dad in step four. The fifth step is the hard. You know, it's funny people. Oh, the fourth step. No, the fifth step's the hard part. Because I have to sit there and go over it with my sponsor. <laughs> and then, what does he point out? Where I'm involved. <laughs> Why, what, how, it's not, I'm not a victim. When I did the fourth step, I was a victim. I wanted to be a victim. I'm going to look at all these people who victimized me throughout my life. And Dad was number one. He started it young. Nope, not a victim. Not a victim. That's the addict. That's the addict thing. Not a victim. Um, I learned through working that it took a lot of, it's taken years, years and years. Um, I could say in the last two years, my relationship with my father has gone from adversarial and tolerating to accepting. I'm not perfect. There are moments when I was, I'm, you know, our parents installed our buttons, so they know exactly where that button is. And he loves to push it, you know, and he, and it's just weird. You just love pushing. Um, multiple ones, like a piano. Um, and I've learned to take a deep breath and realize he's not changing. He's not going to change. I have to change. And it took me almost nine years of recovery to finally get the, that little switch to click and go, okay, you're changing. And I changed. I changed how I interact with him. I no longer act like the, the petulant child who's being put, buttons being pushed. I stopped doing that. And as soon as I stopped doing that, he looked at me. Like literally the, the week I was up visiting and my mom was in recovery, in, um, recovery from some surgery and I was helping out, I was sitting at his computer repairing a bunch of stuff he had damaged. And um, he, uh, I, he said something Literally, it pushed my back. Like, I could tell he just wanted to fight. Um, and he loves to fight. And he, he pushed the button, and I didn't give, I didn't give the child a reaction. 
I reacted like an adult. I said, oh, you know what? I'm working on this right now. And unfortunately, you know, that's pretty, what you're saying is volatile. And I don't, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not, I'm choosing not to react to it. And I go, I'd appreciate it actually if you give me some space and let me work for a little bit. Or I'd be happy to walk away from this for a moment and be on my own. So I just need a moment. As soon as I did that, something changed between us. And all of a sudden he's like, you have gray hair. <laughs> Strange that he says that. You know, you're going gray. And I'm like, yeah, I'm 43 years old. What do you think? I'm like, 22? <laughs> but I really was, he always literally saw me as a child. And all of a sudden when I reacted like an adult, he suddenly saw that I was an adult. It, that's what that meant. Like, I didn't even take offense to what he said. He said it was but it was strange that that was the, that phrase redefined our relationship. So today, it's, a, I, it's so much, it's healthy. I don't feel this anger. I don't feel this, this uh, oh, God, you know, rolling my eyes when I call, going, oh, what's he going to say to try and antagonize me? Because he can try it all he wants. I just don't play. I don't jump in the pool with that. And I find that works. So, um, so that's, that's how I get through it. And my relationship with my both my parents has evolved to, um, honestly, a very beautiful level. I'm so grateful for this program for that because in their ages I would hate for to not have them around and not have resolved these issues so I'm grateful unfortunately we're going to do elections so I have to stop a little early so thank you very much